Hi, Wayne. Welcome back, everyone, to the fourth episode of Atlas Uncharted. This is our third episode in our series about what works best. That's the Center for Education, Statistics and Evaluations publication um, on basically how to teach, really. Mm. Yeah, what are we talking about this week, Anto? Yeah, so today we're up to the fifth theme in the report. We'll just be covering just one theme today because this one's kind of chunky, um, and it's assessment. Right, assessment. Yeah, just, <laughs> just assessment, right? Um, and this one's a really interesting one, I think, uh, because obviously whenever you say assessments, a lot of ideas immediately come to mind to a lot of people, right? Yes, Everyone has I mean, their students own Students are like, mm. Mm, exactly. teachers are like, mm, I have to mark assessments. Yeah, it's a source of stress for seemingly everyone involved in the process. Yeah, so why do it? Yeah, right? So why, yeah, it's a good question, right? Why do we even care? Um, I think everyone understands subconsciously or intuitively that, you know, it's probably the right thing to do. It's good to get feedback. It's good to know how kids are going. Um, But our personal experiences of them have always been very negative. Yeah, in general. Yeah. So, you know, like, is that the case? Are we doomed to always have crappy assessments? Um, You know, I think not. The report says not, but Mm. it's a long way to sort of get there. What I thought would be nice to discuss is sort of the classification of assessments. So, for example, um, there are two very common terms they like to use to describe assessments. Students might have heard about it. Teachers have definitely heard about it. Mm. It's the concept of a formative assessment oh, yeah. versus a summative assessment. Yeah, they talk about this in uni all the time, mm. right? Um, the best uni courses make it really clear what's a formative assessment and what's a summative one. Basically, a formative assessment, yeah. um, as the name might imply, is talking about essentially... Helping um, you form your understanding. Yeah, I guess, right? It's it's something, it's an assessment you take along the way while learning a concept to sort of just see how you're going and to give you some useful feedback, hmm. right? Um, you can also, you can almost think about it as like a practice test, right? Right. Whereas a summative assessment, once again, as the name implies, is something typically conducted at the very end of a course. Hmm. Um, by definition, it doesn't have to count for like a formal mark or anything, but right. the idea is that it's basically your conclusion to that concept. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times people say, oh, its purpose is more aligned towards gauging student performance Okay. in a way. Um, so we know these two types of assessments exist. And I think one really interesting point is that the report mentions that you know, a very ideal way to run your assessments is to identify which ones are formative, which ones are summative, and to make sure you have a healthy mix of them throughout the whole school term. That makes sense. Right. Uh, but the issue is, you know, if as a student, you think back to the assessments you've gotten at school, they've pretty much all been summative, right? Everything is an end-of-term assessment to finish off the module that you are learning, basically. Yeah, mostly. I mean, I, I do sometimes remember, like, maybe um, a specific teacher will give out a specific worksheet or something, maybe, like, halfway through, right, or, like, mini-quizzes throughout and things. Mm. But for the most part, it seems like the summative ones are the official formal ones, and then the formative ones are, are if the teacher's bothered enough to put one in there, right? Yeah, Exactly. And I think it's interesting because it's almost like there's two criteria here, which is like summative and formative refer to the timing of when you do the assessment. Yeah. But there's also the fact that we tend to attach uh, the second criteria of like sort of the importance or the effort, emphasis given to the assessment on them as well. So we right. think a formative assessment is done in the middle, but also it's it doesn't count. It's not treated that important. It's right. just brushed over. Whereas a summative assessment Yes, it's done at the end of the course, but also it's the most important one. And yeah. it's the one that's recorded and studied in detail. Mm. And I think it doesn't have to be the case because um, in terms of like the really good examples of formative assessments that have been done, right, that have been talked about in the research and have been done in history, 
have always been ones that are more than just, you know, here's a worksheet, work through it. There have mm. been dedicated interventions at times where students have done something, um, students have assessed, uh, teachers have assessed it, they've been marked, students have, keep saying students, teachers have analyzed the information and they've gotten interesting observations to report back about this. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the important thing is we want more formative assessments, mm. right? Because as we just said, it seems like most of the school landscape is just summative assessments or random formative ones just made up by teachers on the spot right. if they feel like it. Yeah, no, that does sound about right. Yeah. Yeah. So we want like the more dedicated. We also just want more summative. Sorry, not summative. We want more formative assessments, but it'd be great if we also have some more intensive ones as well. Ones that are endorsed by the whole school system rather than just done on the whim by a passionate teacher or something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, perhaps we should also just talk about like, what do you reckon even are the benefits of formative assessment? Mm. Then? Yeah, good point. So it's like, especially if, yeah. if it's, if we've talked about, because I know necessarily summative doesn't necessarily mean it has to count towards something, but most of the time the summative one does count. Mm. And in my experience, um, like as a student, it's always felt like the point of an assessment is for it to count towards something, for it to count towards oh, your final mark and how, how, how you did, or for it to count towards um, whether or not you, you, know, you for it to decide what unit you go to. Mm. Yeah. So I think one important reason why formative assessments are very useful um, is that besides just seeing how a student is going, they give a lot of feedback and practice to students. Mm. Um, if we think about how formative assessments are often, we can imagine that they're a bit more involved than, say, just doing normal practice questions in class. Um, that level of practice and feedback is something that students tend to not experience too much in the classroom. Mm. And this is actually um, overrepresented by students who are sort of below average and struggling a bit in the concepts. Because if you, you know, if you think your mind back to like what what the struggling student looks like, if we imagine the students who talk taught in the past who have sort of struggled in certain subjects. The reason why they've struggled has almost never been like natural ability, hmm. right? Natural ability, which is a point I will still like believe in and reiterate. I think is relatively insignificant in the grand scheme of student performance for most people. Yes, yes. Um, you know, it's almost the cause is always like bad study technique. Um, you know just missing out complete chunks of information if they missed a lot of school, um, mm. you know, not putting the work to actually do the homework. It's a lack of practice and also a lack of feedback. Yeah. And in a way, a formative assessment is just a way to force that to happen, to make that systematic. Because to flip the coin, right, the kids who do well in school are often not the ones who are just gifted, mm. right? There's obviously a few gifted students, but the vast majority of high achievers are those who, for some reason or another, you know, by chance, by luck, or by careful intervention by another person, uh, just have a really good learning environment. Maybe they get a lot of practice questions from somewhere. Maybe they get really good feedback from their teacher or even their friends. You know, yeah, one, yeah. Yeah, one, one point that really comes to mind for me is um, uh, back, in, back in high school, when it came to like uh, helping out my friends who, you know, in my grade who were kind of struggling in certain subjects, I remember there was one person who, I can't remember if it was chemistry or physics, but they had this concept. It was a classic, one of those classic ones that always tricks a lot of people. He wasn't understanding it. And I remember, um, you know, after trials when things are all chill and stuff, you try and help out your friends and stuff. So I sat him down, I talked through it, I tried to help him out with that. And he seemed to understand afterwards, but he was like, oh, oh, Andrew, thanks so much. Oh, I, I didn't get that for like a whole month or something. And I was like, what? Hmm. Because like that concept, like I knew that, you know, people like me and, you know, students were doing pretty well. You know, we had all sorts of group chats with our friends, people at the same level in our grade. And if anyone in my group had that sort of question, if they just asked that in a group chat, they would have gotten the answer in like half an hour straight away, yeah. right? 
And meanwhile, this person's saying, oh, you know, I was stuck on this for a whole month. No one could help me, right? And like, that's not me being smarter than him or anything. It's literally just the student doesn't even have the access to the feedback or mm. the assistance required to understand that. Yeah. And then the point being is the kids who do get that naturally are the ones who succeed. So in a way, I think formative feedback is the equalizer. Right. Right. It's the way to make sure everyone gets that equal opportunity, not the ones who are just lucky enough to, I don't know, have good parents, good friends, good teachers, whatever. Yeah. And if we talk about it, like, yes, formative assessments are what we want more of, but the reason why we want more formative assessments is just so students get more high quality feedback. Right? Mm, exactly. Um, there, are, there are some hidden benefits to it, um, which is, uh, I mean, there's some I'll say for later, but I guess one that is good to mention now is that a formative assessment beyond just getting feedback is good preparation for the exam environment. Yes. Right? Yes. It's something like we always see a lot, you know, a lot of students are very anxious about exams yep. or yep. they, they, you know, they do great otherwise and then they walk into the exam and they stuff up everything. Yeah, absolutely. So like there's the mental health side, the mm. feeling prepared for it, but then there's also, it's also things like exam skills and being able to actually analyze and understand what a question is asking you, those sorts of things, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just like, it's, it's strange, you know, I think it, it, it takes a lot of uh, looking at it from a different perspective where... Um, a very close parallel to this that I see students saying, oh, I just can't do exams. Mm. It's the same to me as like when I'm in uni now and I see people saying, oh, I can't do chempracs. <laughs> oh my God, I, I can't do labs, man. You know? And like, I'm not even that good at lab. I think in general, I take longer than most people to complete a procedure and I forget steps quite easily. You know, I have to be very careful and think about things, right? But I've never been like, I'm a disaster. I'm destined to never be able to synthesize anything, right? Okay. Um, it all comes down to, I think, perspective where I know like, oh, lab's something new, foreign. Like how many hours have we spent learning theoretical chemistry? How many hours have we spent in the lab in comparison? Of course, everything's weird, right? You're, any procedure you're doing, you're probably doing for like under 10, like this is less than the 10th time you've ever done that procedure before in your life. Hmm. So of course things are weird and clumsy and stuff. Yeah. But the perspective is just like, oh, yeah, that's because that's I'm new to it, right? Yeah. It's like if you pick up a sport and you suck at it, you don't say I'm destined to suck forever. I was literally just thinking about like <laughs> using a sport example. You know? yeah. yeah, It's just any new skill, right, needs practice. And if your only practice is when it counts, then obviously you're going to feel like you're just not doing very well at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm hoping, I think a lot of students, if if a student listening now is like thinking like, oh, I'm destined to suck at exams. It's just you haven't had the practice, right? And you might be under average compared to others in terms of exam ability, but that just means you might have to put in a little bit more work or it might take you a little bit longer to get there. But the point I think we've made in the past is no one's ever too dumb to do year 12 science or any year 12 science. Absolutely, you agree. Right? This isn't yes. some mega genius cutting edge no, <laughs> um, area in the field. Right? This is, as I've said in the past, just year 12. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of hidden benefits mm. to formative assessments. It's, okay. it's always helpful, I think. So we've talked about sort of, you know, the classification of assessments and how it's good to have more, you know, formative assessments, more good assessments in general. Yep. Um, but there's really like one sort of, I guess, one elephant in the room um, that's really important that always comes up whenever we talk about the topic of assessments, which is, you know, um, the idea of like whether assessments can actually be bad for students. Mm. And it does seem like that could be a possibility. Right. So one thing that I found uh, really interesting when I started reading a little bit more literature about, you know, about education and stuff like that is that, you know, there's this common pattern in history of essentially someone, say, a teacher in high school 
or even an academic, a lecturer at university, trying to mm. implement some better form of teaching. Right. You know, like yeah. they're trying to encourage deep learning, proper understanding, right? Um, and they do all these things, but they're not really able to change student attitudes, right? Uh, and, you know, once again, as students or teachers listening, you can probably think back to scenarios where someone, maybe as a teacher, you or students, if you think back to your teachers at school, tried to encourage proper learning, some deep learning, and were just met with rejection, right? Like, no real change there. And, you know, say if you're the teacher, you're probably thinking like, oh, those kids are stupid. They're close-minded, you know? They're too lazy. They don't want to change, right? There's a lot of frustration there. Um, which, you know, could be true. Maybe they're very close-minded, right? But also kids are, you know, very kids vulnerable. Kids. Kids nice, be kids. Yeah. Right? Um, but there's often a lot of hidden factors at play. And a really big one is sort of the secret messaging that students get from other sources besides yourself as the teacher. Okay, what do you mean by that? So um, one, one sort of concept I really liked uh, when I read about it is the idea of essentially where the different sources of information um, sort of about what is relevant in, in a syllabus mm -hmm. or in a, in a concept is conveyed to the students. Okay. And essentially, um, there are sort of three main sources of this information. Um, one of them is the teacher, so the explicit instruction students receive in the classroom. When you're teaching the classroom, you say, I want you to understand these concepts. I want you to be able to do this calculation. This part is relevant. This part is not relevant. Um, that's sort of uh, the explicit messaging students get from their teachers. But students can also get messaging from other sources. So there's two other ones, right, because there's three in total. Um, another source is the syllabus itself. So not the explicit right. teaching okay. of the teacher, but like the what's communicated on paper, anything that's written down as policy, as part of the syllabus, the outlines, the yep. dot points, things yep. like that, will also tell students what's relevant, and it could be a different story yeah. to what teachers say. Um, but then the third area, the final area, and it's one that um, some research has said could be the more significant, the most significant out of the three in terms of how it affects student attitude towards learning is assessments. Right. Right. So yeah. assessments implicitly communicate to students what is required of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which like makes so much sense when yeah. you say it out loud, right? Um, you know, it, and it means like if a teacher says one thing, the syllabus says another thing. But also, they look at, say, a past paper and something different is there. If the student has to pick, they're going to go with the past paper, hmm. right? Because if anything, that's like the most closely tied to their performance, their actual result. And unfortunately, for the most case, that's what we seem to care about these days, right, in terms of the results. Um, and this is, this is a huge issue. Going back to the beginning of my story, this is a lot of the reason why um, initial interventions to try and do better teaching, um, at least they might create an improvement in how students learn. Um, but it's hard to prove that because often you like don't see improvements in exams. And the reason for that is that the exam itself, if it's still stuck in the old traditional way of teaching, or maybe it's testing concepts that don't really show true student understanding, then there's really two things. One, the student is not encouraged to actually learn things properly because it doesn't mm -hmm. even impact their marks. Yeah. And two, even if they did learn properly, you're not even testing that. So you might not even see that in the marks. Yeah. So yeah, it's a huge issue. Um, assessment design almost seems to be the first thing that tells students what's relevant. So yeah, and it's an all-around issue everywhere, really. Right. Well, like, it doesn't sound like there's a really clear-cut solution to that, though, because it's just there's three different parties mm. all trying to do their own thing, and if they're, if they're different people, then... Ah, yeah. How do you even connect that? 
best case is you change all three at once, I guess. <laughs> um, and I guess we have a really good case study to look upon, right? Because um, we see this in many different forms uh, in the new syllabus. The new uh, HSE science yeah, syllabus. the new science syllabus, yeah. right? Um, and I can imagine you can sort of see it in a few different ways. Like, if we're thinking in terms of the real big picture, uh, let's say the first year the new syllabus came out. If I had to summarize what happened in all those three parties, I would say the teachers in general had no idea what was going on. So I guess that's quite neutral. It was a bit all over the place. Um, which also my old flaw of the execution of the new syllabus, not much info is communicated to teachers. Mm. Um, on the policy and syllabus side, I think that was decent-ish. Like at least the syllabus had new content. It had deeper level, more interesting content. And that was just there. You know, you could read that. You'd be like, okay, this is what is expected. Yeah, like the syllabus is quite clear in what it expects the students to know. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like the syllabus itself in terms of like, you know, like, like its integrity as a syllabus, I guess, like it's good. Like, I like the things I teach in there. Sometimes it's a bit unclear how much of it is required, but, you know, like most, most people, okay. exactly. I agree, it's definitely a step, a huge step in the right direction. Um, but the assessments, in that first year, I reckon the assessments kind of lagged behind, um, which you couldn't even tell until you sat the HSE anyway, but that first year of HSE was quite on the easy side um, for that right. new syllabus. Um, actually, wait, physics was always hard, though. So you're probably, yeah. you probably saw less of that because yeah. physics is always a bit challenging. The, the physics exam was sort of what, what I think we all, all sort of expected. It, it just, it was hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the chem one was like super easy. Um, not, maybe not super, but I thought it was quite easy relative to what the syllabus was teaching at. Right. And I wonder if like, firstly, that obviously sent messages to te teachers and students in the next year of how to teach things. But I wonder if that sort of, left them very unprepared for the year after, which was a bigger, much bigger spike up in difficulty. Right. Right. But then once again, in that second year, there's also that miscommunication because in the second year, we have assessments telling a different story, the syllabus being a bit more aligned for the assessment now, so that's good. But then the messaging from the teachers who in the school still being in the old form. Mm. You know, a lot of teachers are, um, through maybe no fault of their own, not actually teaching what's required of their students to actually uh, do well in that exam. And so, that would be exacerbated yeah. by anything that the syllabus isn't 100% clear about, right? Yeah, exactly. It's anything that's away from like all three parties being completely coherent is, yeah. is not, not great. Um, and as you mentioned before, that's really hard to fix. How do you make sure everyone's saying the same thing? Um, I do I think there's a way forward. Okay. Yeah, you can go for it. You can pitch it. I think it's just good leadership. I'll be honest. Uh. I think a big part of it is just... You know, you're changing the culture, but also you have the right key players at all the different levels, enough of them, like a critical mass of like talented teachers, talented people in the step above teachers in sort of head teacher, principal, executive positions, enough talented people at say the Nessa marking level, you know, um, and even like, honestly, you need enough students who can cope with the new syllabus as well. The kids who can be like, you know what? Yeah, new syllabus, rad, let's go mm -hmm. for it, right? Um, I think if you have enough, once again, a critical mass of people in those areas, they can propagate the right culture and also provide the right support for people who might be struggling mm. to keep up, keep up with those things. So one thing that was really interesting that was brought up in the report um, is sort of certain criteria or steps that are really good for assessments to follow. Things assessments should do to be effective and often common mistakes that a lot of current assessments fall for. This is a very familiar sort of concept. Like if I mention mm. these, as I read out these concepts, you can definitely recall a lot of assessments that have failed these criteria. Okay. Yeah, let's um, see if the students at home are thinking. Yeah. yeah. And I think the important thing, I guess, just as a disclaimer, um, is that, like, obviously writing assessments is really hard, right? And obviously not every assessment, no assessment will be perfect. Um, but I think it's important to just know why an assessment is weak. 
right? And how it could be better, right? Um, if people ask for, like, if people ask me to give an example of a good assessment, I would probably struggle. Um, but yeah, once again, like many things in teaching, my view towards it is that no one's doing it right right now. But our 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 job is to progress towards that, mm. right? The the gradual march towards that. So yeah, that's sort of the angle that we're coming from. But yeah, you said an interesting point there about no assessment being good at all. Well, like, like I suppose that would depend on what you think a good assessment mm. can do, though, right? Like for example, the Science Olympiad entrance exams are pretty damn good at sort of sorting people by how well they know content. Yeah, well, they even fail some of the criteria here, but they're also quite good. Um, mm. You know, you can. I think most of us can get a feeling for what is a good assessment and what isn't. But um, here are some more like explicit criteria to really sure. judge that. Sure. Okay. So I think there are five. There are five. It. I misread them. It was five, I not four. Love a good checklist. Um, so the first two principles are quite similar to each other. Um, and the first one is that the sort of intentions, the learning intentions of the assessment have to be drawn from the syllabus itself. They have to actually be relevant to the syllabus. And this is very closely tied to the second area, which is the success criteria. So basically the expectations of the assessment um, have to be very clearly and explicitly explained. Okay. Right. What does that actually mean? So essentially it means your assessment has to be relevant to what you're meant to learn, obviously, right? It can't right. just be, you know, random stuff, but okay. Let's, let's think about, about examples where assessments have sort of failed to meet this, this criteria. So what is an assessment that isn't really tied to what students are meant to be learning? Um, things that come to mind would be, okay, I think a big one, to be honest, depth studies kind of tick the box for having an issue in like all the criteria that are coming up. But I think a lot of depth studies that simply involve like researching and by researching is basically Googling mm. um, a concept and then writing them down to answer some questions, um, I think provide little to no benefit to the student's understanding of that subject right. and also do not provide them any extra preparation for syllabus stop points because often the, the, the thing the teacher is aiming for with these depth studies are to do something that's not actually part of the syllabus. Yeah. So in that case, the assessment actually is not even it's not even useful, right? It, it it's not really tied to anything that's part of the rest of that that course. What if it's what if it's a depth study that's explicitly just talking about here are a few dot points from later in the syllabus and and your job is to go out there and learn about them mm. or to perform an investigation on them? Yeah. So in that case. If it's tied to the syllabus, I guess it meets that criteria. But mm. like we also have issue with those assessments sometimes, right? It's often not conducted very well if it's just left to students to work out how the how the theory works. Okay. I think it fails the later criteria which we we'll talk about, which is sort of um, um, sort of building student capacity. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there are also issues with that variation that you mentioned. Um, but I guess just to like move through it, not chronologically, I guess, but just like in the order that they appear, I guess that's chronologically. Um, is the second area that we mentioned sort of the expectations are very clearly defined. Right. Now, I think this is like a, like a big trigger word, I think, because it's like immediately when we talk about the fact that expectations have to be clear, like so many examples come to mind, right? Of just like things where you're asked to just research something, do a prac on something, right? Where like students just have no idea what the assessment even is about. Mm. And that's not testing them on their ability to do science or whatever subject. That's just testing their ability to just interpret the question. You know, that's yeah, not really... Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's not useful at all. You know, there's a difference between being explicit and giving them the answer, mm. right? And I think a lot of teachers, once again, it's hard, right? It's hard to say things clearly. We, we know that issue all the time when we have to write emails to people, um, particularly to like students and parents, who are like, we read it and we're like, obviously, we've made our point clear, but then you read over it and you go, 
you know, <laughs> everyone always has studies. questions. Exactly. You, you've said that like we sort of have problems often with like the depth studies and practice for these first two um, criteria, but mm. these two criteria sound like where traditional theory exams do quite well in terms of um, testing people on syllabus content and then also having clear like bands about mm. student understanding in terms of the results. Yeah, which is probably why those traditional assessments have existed for so long. They, at the very yeah. least, meet the bare minimum in terms of these assessment criteria, right? right. But, um, but then there are still weaknesses. Like I think saying you have unclear expectations, I think what fits into that umbrella would be if you have really shoddy marking or the rubric doesn't make sense, mm. right? If you're marked right. on, on random details that don't really uh, reflect on your understanding, I think that's a case of expectations not being made clear. Fair enough. So yeah, still a lot of improvement that can be made there. And I think, you know, I think these are both really interesting things to consider because in the grand scheme of things, they're not that hard to fix, right? Like if you have a current assessment and say it fails these criteria, it's not very clear, mm. right? It's not very directly tied to the syllabus. You don't need to fix it by just inventing a new assessment, right? It's not completely doomed. You just have to improve your execution, improve the communication you give to the students, and you're probably like taking quite a few steps towards a, a very, you know, much better situation. Yeah, probably. I mean, it also just sounds like a lot of assessments, especially in school, are written by a team of teachers and they have to split the work out and they have to, like, they actually have to work together, mm. right? Whereas normally maybe when they're teaching, they're sort of teaching their own class, their own students. So it also just sounds like, like maybe it's not even ed an education issue so much as it is a sort of a, I guess, teamwork issue, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, the, the, the concept the you bring side. up... Soft, soft skills side, I suppose. You're right, soft skills. Uh, well, that's, that sort of like leads me to something I had in mind for the third area as well. Um, the, what's, third what's area, the third area? Yeah, the third area being giving explicit descriptive feedback. So mm -hmm. that's just like the assessment doesn't just give you a number. Right? Mm -hmm. The assessment has to give you much more information about how the student is going, show yeah. them ways they can improve, right? Um, and many yeah. things that we talked about in our effective feedback video last time. Yes, flashback to part two, I think, of this yes. episode. Um, yeah, so once again, like when you hear this, it's obvious, right? You need to give good feedback. Yeah. Um, but I think this tied very closely to the second one. So being very clear about expectations and then giving clear feedback on how students met those expectations. I think together, this is an area that a lot of assessments right now uh, do struggle with, where essentially, like, Students don't get much feedback after exams. To put it simply, yeah. they just don't get feedback. Yeah, I mean, we hear stories from students all the time <laughs> where they finish this big exam and then um, at most they'll get their paper back, yeah. ticks crosses, and they'll get a chat with in front of their whole class or in front of the whole cohort with the teacher just giving general feedback to the cohort as a whole and not individualized feedback. Yeah. And then there's worse cases where... We don't get the paper back. Yeah, are your 11 students who legit aren't getting their paper back for an assessment? That's... Ah. Yeah, and here's the worst part, right? We ask the students, whenever this comes up, we're like, why have they done this? And the student says, I don't know. Yeah. So the teacher has not even, like, even if we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, say, oh, like, you know, maybe there's a reason why they can't give back the paper. They haven't bothered to explain this to the student at all. Yeah. And this is what I was thinking in terms of what you're saying in terms of soft skills, which is, you know, you learn as a, if you do any sort of leadership training or management training or just how to communicate with people, that you have to communicate your intention. You cannot just give orders to people. Yes. Right? I think... There are many reasons for this, I think, honestly, to criticize a few teachers, um, but hopefully um, in a way that I think most teachers will agree with. Some teachers just want to have power over students, mm. right? Some teachers just like treating students as children. They think they can just listen to any order that they yeah. give them. We're going to do things my way because I'm the teacher and I know what's right for you. Exactly. Mm. And as we've seen in leadership, 
that's how you get people to stop listening to you. Ooh. <laughs> you know? So I think it's really important. And like, like I know I myself, I, I always think about this in just like everything I do. Oh, yeah. Right? Where I'm like, if I ask someone to do something, I need to give the reason. I need to justify myself. Yeah. You know, um, you know, just going back to cadets, I did find that was one of those things that I thought I did pretty well in cadets that did make people like within my immediate sort of leadership vicinity appreciate, yeah. which is, yeah, maybe when I'm giving you the brief, I take twice as long as the other guy giving the brief, but I'll explain why we're doing things, yeah. you know? And um, so like the, the people in your command aren't just like, oh, I'm just doing random things. Exactly. Like, I know exactly why I'm doing yeah, it. It's not just standard, right? Yeah, of course. Um, Another example of Atlas is for module eight physics, we had to teach the syllabus in a different order in order to, mm. because our decision was basically, well, here I am explaining the thing, right? We taught it in a different order and we told our students why. It was because it was a better way of teaching to help them understand it and there was no problems. Whereas all the time we hear complaints from students at schools where their syllabus is just taught in a completely wacky order. Mm, exactly, and, and they don't justify it. Yeah, they don't. NSB, we're looking at you. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, once again, like I get it, sometimes, sometimes kids are a bit like, too demanding. Sometimes they want to know all the answers, right? And sometimes they, and sometimes don't, they don't listen if you, even if you explain yourself. Yeah, but like, who's the adult in the room right now? You know, like, hmm. you know, like, I feel like the moment you, I guess, hide from the students, like you've kind of already lost the battle, right? Like, yes, it's tough, but like- We can't blame the student. Yeah, like you pick this job for a reason, <laughs> you know? Um, we can expect ourselves to be better. And that's, you know, I'm referring to myself as a teacher here in this case. I expect myself to be better, hmm. you know? Um, you know, one thing that I, I actually am on the fence about sometimes, but I do think I do the right way is um, sometimes if a student asks me a question that I haven't considered before, which is like why I mark things in a certain way or why I think something is important, maybe in the moment I actually don't know the answer to that. And so I have like two options. One, I can sort of give a, a decent enough explanation and I can be like, oh, but we'll discuss it later. Don't worry about it now. Right? Um, but sometimes I do find, and here's where I'm like on the fence about it. Sometimes I like to just mull in it, and maybe I'm just standing in there in silence for a couple of moments. I'm thinking, oh, and then I might try a certain explanation, and then I realize, no, we, that's not it. And then I'll, I'll try to start again. And so, on the one hand, maybe that's not a good thing to do because it does make it look like I don't know what's going on in the moment, right? Because there's that uncertainty. I might say something wrong, right? Um, mm. But I do find what, what I care about personally in that moment is the fact that I'm making an effort to address the student's concern yes. and to try and, like, answer like give the information yeah um that's what it's like there's a good and bad about how i'm approaching that but i do find that the good outweighs it in my personal interpretation i mean i i would always say that's a good thing because if you're looking at the two possible options mm. and i can just i can picture two teachers in my head right now yeah. one teacher that always does things a certain way and then when you ask them like why they do it they just give you a flat response and, and like don't even have the discussion don't even bother to have the discussion with mm. you about why what thing might be better for you right compared to the other teacher who's open honest genuine and willing to have that discussion with you willing to debate it with you and so that even if at the end of the day you end up doing it their way like at least they've been open enough to talk to you about it. i would always want that second teacher over the mm. first teacher maybe that's a cultural thing as well because i believe in different cultures like there's like a different power dynamic with mm. those two different sorts of teachers right yeah 100 but yeah but yeah so yeah uh, yeah, exactly right. That's, you know, one thing that I do find a lot of current assessments at schools do very badly. And we can see the effects of it because the kids are pissed off. And honestly, like I'm pissed off. You know, like if one of my students gets a crappy mark in the exam and like I don't even know why. <laughs> obviously, that's very frustrating. And, you know, when you can just tell that it's just because like a teacher decided something arbitrarily and it might not have been the right decision, but they're not going to stand, you know, they're going you know, to stand by their old decision and not really consider things. 
then yeah. that gets really annoying. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what's the point of an assessment? It's to help a student get better. If none of none of like why they did poorly is understood, then it's not even doing its purpose. Uh, okay, next criteria, fourth criteria, um, building student capacity to assess and self-assess. Um, mm. I really like this one, mainly because it uses a phrase that I, I learned very recently, but I really like the principle <laughs> of, which is building capacity, in this case, student capacity. Mm. That's and just another way of saying developing a skill. Kind of, right? I think, I think it's a lot more, in this context, it's just about developing skills. But mm. I first learned about it when it comes to sort of improving how a school runs and so the idea is like <clears throat> when you try to like bring in a new intervention and run a new program they say you want to build like um like teacher capacity and what that means is you don't mm. want to just like follow the like you don't want to just get to the point where you can follow the steps and execute the intervention um, often to do the intervention properly you need to build capacity in the sense that you need to then build the systems upskill the teachers, have people with the right roles designated so that the school becomes like the body that can execute that intervention has been improved to do that and then can continue to do that and continue to iterate on top of that. Um, so it's it, like, it's sort of, it can be so much more than just teaching someone something, hmm. right? It's sort of like building the whole integrated system. Um, but in this case, it's really just like making students better, right? Um, and once again, this is a huge thing that students, well, not students, but a huge thing that schools do very badly, which is, you know, the act of doing assessment should make you smarter. Yeah. That's one thing that I think the Science Olympiads does amazingly, mm. right? I feel like I feel smarter when I do the exam. Maybe it's different if like you couldn't do any question. But I feel <laughs> like if you're at least like able to do 50% of the paper, maybe that's a good one. Okay. I think if you reckon if you can attempt at least fifty percent of the paper, you will find that in doing those questions, you are exposed to new concepts, new equations, new patterns, and you probably found them kind of neat yeah. and probably much more interesting if you weren't stressed out trying to figure out how they work. But you actually got smarter by doing the exam. Yeah, yeah, I one hundred percent agree with that. Like when we write our homeworks, or when, when at least when I write our homeworks, that's the aim. The homework is there to help you assess, but also to help you develop further skills. Not just yes, like exam skills, but also just doing that questions helps you learn the content better mm. yeah. yeah and then this is this really ties in with feedback as well right because it's essentially mm. an exam that's marked clearly expectations set up properly communicate to students properly means that a student can get the marking idea get their question and mark it themselves they can mm. be like i believe that this is the mark i deserve exactly right and that's what we talked about last week in our feedback video <laughs> <laughs> yeah because like once again in contrast what really happens a student can't even tell me why they got the mark they got you know if they see a if they see their question come back they go three out of five some of them don't even know why they got three out of five if they can't even self-assess themselves then like well, well firstly obviously they, don't, they just don't believe in the mark but we're failing we're missing out on an opportunity here to upskill students on the ability to self-assess anyway cool that was a pretty good chat um i guess we should just summarize the things we talked about so you know regarding the theme of assessment like we said, it's a very uh, opinionated topic. Everyone has their different thoughts on it. So he talks about feedback. Um, I guess one point that we wanted to introduce in terms of just how to think about feedback was the classification of summative versus formative. Yes. Um, I think some important points are the fact that really a lot of our assessments at school are very summative dominated yep. and that the research has shown that really formative is what we need more of and what tends to be more helpful yep. to the students. Help students understand the content better because they can learn, they can get feedback on it while they learn it. Yes, so they get more practice um, on both the concept as well as the, the 
environment of taking an exam. Yeah, and student need student culture needs to change so that they're not always stressed out about every single assessment, and that that's probably one thing that will help with that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, then we talked about sort of what I like to call the big elephant in the room, which is the fact that assessments done poorly have a negative impact on student learning. Yes. And that's because, as we discussed, um, assessments tell students what is expected of them. You know, what they value is directly tied to what's tested because that's tied to their actual results. Um, and then the last thing we really talked about that I thought was really nice was sort of um, five criteria that were brought up according to the report that were things good examples of assessments should do. Things like communicating expectations very clearly, giving very good feedback, allowing students to develop and set goals beyond that. Um, we also contrasted that with, you know, what we see, you know, the opposite of that mm. happening at schools right now. And once again, you know, the point is not to just like shit talk bunch of schools it's the point that yes assessments are really hard we just want to point out what we think is problematic about them not just oh they suck but here are the specific areas we think if you fix that we think can be much better oh yeah absolutely and we understand that solving these problems is a huge hurdle not just in terms of the technical side but also the humanity humanity side because there are many people and politics involved in all of these things and yeah. that is how it is it's almost like you need a much more bigger influence than just a teacher almost like a social enterprise <laughs> Ah. <laughs> like Atlas Academia to create that level of change. Yes. Nice. So if you enjoyed um, listening to what we had to say today, everyone at home, feel free to give this video a like, subscribe to our channel as well. And um, this isn't just meant to be a podcast where we just tell you what's the right thing. Like we're just having a discussion here. We don't necessarily know what's right. We read a few things. We teach a little, right? We're, we're just as we keen to- We used to be students. Yeah, exactly. You can argue we are always students of life, but I wouldn't get cheesy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So that's a trick. You say the thing you're about to say anyway, but then you say, oh, but I won't go into it, but you already did. Yeah, that's not a very good trick. <laughs> um, we'll, so we'd love to hear what you think. Um, feel free to just pop it down in the YouTube comments below. And if, we, if, we, if there's anything interesting, we'd love to respond to that as well. Happy to be disagreed with as well over here. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's all from us. So thank you everyone for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.